so you can get the ball rolling and you can get through with this project and make some money. And, and honestly, this is where I have struggled. I, especially early on, you don't know what you don't know. And so setting up systems, setting up processes, having things lined up, super important. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes I'll say that I've seen in competition over the years is just like simple things like demo not being done. Like why wasn't this done already? Like why are we doubling back? Because the fact of the matter is if it's not demoed and then your drywall guys come in, they're going to work with what's there. You are now listening to the Real Estate Everybody's Podcast. You see this guy here staring back at you? That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing, and I do believe that in life. Your weekly deep dive into DFW real estate, life, and beyond. With your hosts, Tavis Westbrook and Ashton Hines. That is right. This is the Real Estate Heavyweights Podcast, and we are coming to you on a Tuesday for a Real Estate Heavyweights University episode. We are taking a deep dive into the world of flipping. I'm Ashton Hines. I am a new flipper. I'm working on number four. I have a real estate license, but I also have a full-time W-2 job, and so I'm trying to juggle everything, trying to figure out how to invest and flip and do all that stuff and have a job and be dad and do all the things. So if, if you want to learn how to do that and get into the investing world and just start learning, you just follow me. I'm making all the mistakes that you will, you will not have to make. If you'll just pay attention, I will try to, to clear the path for you because it seems lately my mistakes are coming in waves and I'm learning constantly on what not to do the next time. So um, there to help me out, one of my good friends and real estate mentors and and he's just been super helpful in getting my flips finished lately, is Tavis Westbrook, and he is with us here today. How's it going, Tavis? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Always a pleasure doing these. This has been fun. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love it. I mean, basically, we're turning a mic on to the conversations we have anyway, because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we communicate a lot. I know you have these types of conversations with a lot of your buddies that flip, and you, you're in the world. You've been doing this now for well over 10 years and you you live it and you have a lot of insight into what's going on the things you should do shouldn't do how to lay things out and you know one of the things you were just talking about you're looking at a new deal over in Carrollton by where I live and uh, you know I hope you pick that up so you can start working on a project nearby and I think that'd be you know great to watch up close and talk about here and as we're talking about flipping, the last episode, if you haven't tuned into that, we talked all about financing. And we talked about how I financed my deals. It talked about how you do yours, mostly through banks. I use private money and uh, hard money. And uh, I've tapped into a 401k before. So a lot of your creative financing, I've done that there. I've never done owner financing or any of the sub two stuff. That's That's out of my realm of knowledge right now, but that's also an option we didn't really talk about, that it's something that you can get into. Uh, we have other episodes on how to find a flip, what you're looking for, how to start figuring out how much a flip might cost you as far as rehab goes, how to categorize a flip. So today, what we're going to talk about is, okay, you got this house, you found it, you, you figured it out, it's a, it's a decent investment. You've run the numbers, you figured out how to pay for it, and you pulled the trigger and you've got it. And you've got this, you went to closing and here we go. 
Now what? How do you set yourself up for success for that first week, two weeks, three weeks, so you can get the ball rolling and you can get through with this project and make some money? And and honestly, this is where I have struggled. I especially early on, you don't know what you don't know. And so setting up systems, setting up processes, having things lined up, super important. So Tavis, why don't we start there? You got this house, you went to closing, you're excited. Now what? And 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 I think honestly it probably started even before closing uh to get your processes going. So take us through that initial phase of getting a flip started. Yeah, so you know, it's it's very important to kind of plan ahead and have your ducks in a row. You know, I, a lot of times even I'm guilty of this, of, of acquiring a property, getting it under contract, and then saying, I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. But by the time I close on it, I definitely know, am, am I going to hold it? Is my plan to keep it? Is my plan to flip it? And most everything I buy needs some kind of renovation to it, whether I'm holding it or midterm renting it or or flipping it. So as far as doing the renovation part goes, those all all kind of follow the same schedule. So, you know, time is money. So the faster that you can get these things done and scheduled, um, as Ashton's talked about before in other episodes, uh, what the daily burn rate is, especially doing hard money and things like that, it can yep. get very expensive very quickly. And it's important to track these things and, and be ahead of the curve. So Obviously, setting up utilities, Ashton talked about a mistake he made here recently of not getting his water turned on on the Mapleton house. So obviously mm-hmm. having utilities on because when the guys do start, they're going to need power. They're going to need electric. I'm, I'm sorry. They're going to need electric power. Same thing. You know, gas is one of those things that we typically forget because there's not a lot of, you know, utilities uh, that use gas. Uh, but Uh, And you don't necessarily need hot water, right, when you're flipping the property, but you do need heat. So if you have a central HVAC system, this is something you want to check out prior to uh, closing on the property to see if you're going to need gas heat on, especially coming into this cooler weather that we're starting to have now. So that's something that gets missed quite a bit. Uh, It's important to go ahead and do that. And water, obviously. So you want water on, um, especially when you are dealing with paint and texture, um, concrete work. Uh, getting into landscape, obviously you need water on. So those are, those are all important things that uh, you need to make sure you're doing just on the utility side and have a system in place for that. Then more importantly is, is lining out your trades. So I typically start hitting my trades up a couple weeks prior to when I need them and just giving them address, giving them information, letting them know like, Hey, I've got this project coming up. This is what's going on. Even if Maybe the painter, for instance, is two or three weeks out after I take possession, meaning I won't be ready for him until then. I still let him know. That way he mm-hmm. knows and he's putting it in his pipeline to make sure he's aware of it and he's kind of preparing for me as well. So I'm going to do this with my drywall guys. I'm going to do it with my roofers. I'm going to do it with you know, any of my trades that I need to line up, my electricians, my plumbers, people like that that get busy and you know, need to schedule me. So, uh, some things that you can do prior to closing is obviously line out. If you're going to do foundation work, uh, essentially. So you, you want to line out your guys, have your bids ready on that, be ready to go day one. So knowing how a house is built or knowing the steps of a home is very important in this, even if you're doing renovation, because 
you know, you need to know like what comes first and what comes second. So for instance, you can't build a house without a foundation first. So if you're renovating the home, foundation repairs are first, even mm -hmm. before doing the roof, because you could put a roof on and then do the foundation and it causes the roof to shift. And now mm -hmm. you buckled your shingles, your brand new shingles. And now you've got to bring the now, roof back. I know on foundation work, how long do you typically wait after you shift the foundation to do work? Is there enough time that you wait or is it just kind of natural? It's going to take enough time to get people in there. You don't really worry about no, it. No, look, every house settles, even new construction is going to settle within the first year. You're going to see new construction settle and you're going to see some stress cracks that happen. It's taken a long time for that foundation to get the way that it is now. And then yes, you're, you're implying force to raise it up and make some changes. But so, well, and, and just as a little, uh, little insight into DFW specifically, if you're, if you're anywhere outside of DFW, you might think this sounds a little weird. If you're, if you grew up in Austin, everything's bedrock it's limestone. And you know, you fix a, a foundation. It's probably not going a whole lot of anywhere here in DFW. A lot of our soil is clay. And when you shift a house in a certain season, there's most likely that clay is either going to be more or less dry. It's maybe it's been very rainy and now it's saturated or it's been really, you know, drought temperatures or drought weather. It's really dry and it's contracted a little bit. A lot of people try to do their best to water around foundations. So it normalizes it through the year. But if you're working on an investment, there's to, there, if they haven't, <laughs> if they haven't taken care of the house inside, I guarantee they have not been minding the foundation on the outside. Yeah. And so now here you come in and you're starting to shift stuff around. So it's just natural whenever we start moving houses, the clay underneath, it expands and it contracts with the seasons. And it's just very, very much a part of something that we have to deal with specifically here that maybe other parts of the country, they don't as much. Uh, but it, it, you know, even after you do the very best job you can, it's going to contract a little bit. And when it gets dry, it's going to yeah. shift just slightly. And you're going to have these little hairline well, cracks. I always use things. this, you know, everybody has played with clay at some point in their life. Uh, and, and most people, if they haven't played with any kind of uh, <clears throat> other kind of clay, they, they've at least played with Play-Doh. And Play-Doh is one of those things, you know, if you leave it out uh, of its container without an air airtight container, mm -hmm. it's going to dry up hard as a rock. And mm -hmm. there's not much you can do to fix that, right? But if you keep it pliable and you add moisture to it and you keep the lid tight, you know, then it stays pliable and it's at, it's at its largest state. So that's like how a foundation works, right? It, it, or yep. how our soils work. If it's, if they're watered in their, and they're full of moisture, they're going to stay big and, and fluffy and, uh, keep the foundation up. And the minute that they're not getting watered and they dry up hard, then it's going to shrink and it's going to cause, uh, things to, to drop. So, yep. Yep. you know, in a lot of cases in plumbing issues, you, you know, that soil's oversaturated because it's been leaking and leaking and leaking all this plumbing underneath the home. And so when you take all that away and you clean up that dry, and you clean up the, uh, the leak, it's dry and you're going to, mm. it's going to settle more. So that's going to cause mm -hmm. issues. Uh, so getting back on just lining up your trades, lining up those foundation crews to be ready to go day one. I mean, I've literally had people, you know, at the property waiting and I'm like waiting on the funding, right? I'm like title company. Are we funded yet? Cause I got guys over there ready to dig right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, demo crews ready to go. If you're going to use dumpsters, line up your dumpsters ahead of time. So you got a dumpster drop that day. 
Um, so just getting ahead of it right off the bat and having a game plan ready to roll. I mean, it, demo typically takes minimum three days to a week for me, uh, depending on the size of the project. Obviously, bigger tier three stuff is going to take, you know, several weeks of yeah. demo. Um, and that, but getting, that's one way area that I, I will say I made a huge mistake on. Well, as far as trash goes, one good tip that you do is you, you typically have your guys, maybe after that first haul, it's different, but you normally have your guys put everything in the, if they can, in the garage. And then at some point they come in with a bobcat and clear it out. I think if you have a job that's probably a one or a tier one or a two, you can probably get away with that. If you have, if you're tearing down a ton of sheetrock and and that sort of thing, I'm guessing you're just going to create more of a dumpster situation. One of the mistakes I made at Polk, and this drove you nuts, and it <laughs> and it grew to drive me nuts, was we piecemealed the demo throughout that project. Right. And you would walk that project and you say, why have you not taken this light down yet? Or why did they not take the trim out of this? And I ended up doing it at Mapleton a little bit where even just a month ago, we were walking through and you said, why is the baseboard still in this closet? <laughs> and those are things that I just didn't really pay attention to. Yep. And I had hired demo, but then they did a crappy job. And actually my son and a friend went over there and finished the demo. And there's certain things that I just don't even know to look for. I will say this, you will save yourself and your crews a lot of time. And if you'll just clean the slate, whatever, having the scope of what you're going to do, understanding it to begin with and say, what does that mean as far as demo goes? We're taking all of this out, all of that out. Um, go ahead and just clean the slate and then clean up the house to where it's a pretty clean area to work in. Because whenever your guys start going in there, it's just natural. If they see a bunch of crap laying around, they're not going to feel just super obligated to throw their stuff away. And But if they're going into a cleaner environment, they see everything's dumped out in the garage. That's how you do it. I know that you tell people, I don't know if you put up signs or not, but your people understand where to put their trash. Little things like that, it doesn't sound very important, but those types of things, I think, set yourself up for success over the, the course of the project. When you have systems in place of saying, this is where you put your trash, this is how I want you to clean up every time, yeah. we're taking all this out <laughs> this time, all those types of things really I mean, well, I don't we had to double back multiple times to take out demo and stuff. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed yesterday, but I was I was constantly picking up trash around your job site <laughs> yesterday <laughs> and throwing it in the garage just because it's it's one of those things like everybody has a a place in the job. Like for instance, my demo guys, you know, they do multiple things for me, but when they're they're there, I'm paying them pretty much by the day, so it doesn't really matter the task that I'm asking them to do; they'll do it. But I have to make sure that I'm being clear and they know what to expect from me and they know what what I expect them to do, right? Because if they miss it that day and then I forget to tell them or whatever and then I'm calling them, then I'm I'm expected to probably pay at least a day if not, you know, maybe I can get away with a half day for them to make a trip back and do the, you know, do something minor that they could have just done the first time, or I'm going to do it myself. And so obviously the goal is not to do it myself, right? To leverage my time and go out and spend better time on lead generating and finding deals and walking new properties. That's where I'm, that's where my highest and best use is, right? And um, I will say this too, it drives your skilled guys nuts Yes, when, they, when you're not ready for them. Oh yeah. Or yeah. 
if you're saying, oh, shoot, can you take that out for me? I don't, you look, you look like you don't know what you're doing because you don't. <laughs> and I didn't. And, and, but when you're asking your skilled trim guy to demo part of the closet because you forgot, a lot of times they will, but they, they may end up working it into your deal, your price. They may end up charging you more next time, or they may be not super happy about accepting your job the next time because you just don't quite know what you're doing. Yep. And that that's, you know, outside of having just a clean slate, your people that are coming in, they want to be able to come in, do their thing, leave and go to the next job. And the cleaner that you can, more clear cut, you can make that for them, the more they're going to want to work with you and hopefully the better pricing you get as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think having a, a clean and organized job site and then just having things lined up and ready to go is extremely important. And, you know, as Ashton said, I mean, sometimes you can get the guys to kind of communicate with other trades. And I mean, I, I have that set up where my painters and my trim carpenters and my drywall guys know each other. And I try to get them to communicate. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. Uh, you know, they don't, again, we talked about this before, they're not really business guys. So they don't like that communication. They don't want to have to do something that's outside their comfort zone. You know, they want to show up, they want to do their job, they want to get it done and, and move on to the next one and get paid, right? And so it's very important that you are organizing and setting these things up. I mean, I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I'll say that I've seen in competition over the years is just like simple things like demo not being done. Like why wasn't this done already? Like why are we doubling mm -hmm. back? Because mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is if it's not demoed and then your drywall guys come in, they're going to work with what's there. They're, they're not mm -hmm. there to make that decision. They're like, well, I don't know why he left it, but okay, let's work with it. Um, and then it trickles down from there, you know, the paint guys and everybody else. So like, for instance, you know, those old 1980s surface lights that are 12 inches big left in a ceiling because somebody's like, oh, let's leave it for light. And now the the ceiling scraped around it, right? The old acoustic texture is removed or the popcorn, as people call it, is removed. The light fixture stays on there. You know, you get past that point. Now you get to paint phase. You know, then the painter works around it if it never gets removed. And then you get ready for light fixtures, and now you bring in a new light fixture, and <laughs> you've got a big 10-inch ring you, you know, with a 4- or 5-inch you know, excursion that goes to the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And now you've got a brand-new light fixture in there that's installed with an old ring up there that needs to be scraped from texture. It needs to be touched up with texture, and it needs to be painted. So the chances right. are it's going to ruin your life fixture if they don't remove the excussion, which half the time they will, they won't do that. If they're good enough to remove the top part, then they're going to drop it down and then work around it. But then you're like, Hey, my house is ready to go. I've got the photographer lined up and you walk in and you've got this excussion hanging down that was never put up and mm -hmm. put it on a 10 foot ceiling. And you're there with your photographer. You don't have a ladder to fix it. Mm. <laughs> now you, yeah. Now you've got this funny thing hanging down from the ceiling in your picture. You got to figure out how to edit it out, right? So yeah, again, well, and I know for me at Polk, the big mistake was along those lines was texture, and yeah. I know I mentioned it in one of my videos. Is I, I didn't really pay attention to texture early on, and you're you're taking in so much with this new house, and you've got these big plans, and I want to do that, move this wall, and I want to, I want to, you know, we're going to do the bathrooms this way, and all the big things kind of take over. And sometimes 
if I would have paused and if I would have known better early on, the very first thing of demo, I would have had them scrape ceilings everywhere. Like take the, like you're saying, take those lights down, scrape ceilings, take trim down right up to the cabinets to where they can scrape things. That way, when your texture guy comes in, he's not piecemealing it together. He can do this huge, just one pass job with texture everywhere. And it's going to look way more consistent. Whereas what, how I did it, and I ended up do, going through a couple of different crews and they all have different techniques and they all have got different you know tools that they're using. It just looked a little bit more piecemeal. It looked fine at the end of the day, but it drove me nuts having a slightly different texture in the hallway and in the stairwell. And, and this ceiling was slightly different. Mapleton's better. It's not perfect because of my choice of skill that I used to get the texture on the walls. But it is better and it's more consistent throughout the house. It may be consistently not great, but it's con more consistent. And so, again, you know, we kind of beating this idea of do everything you can to clean the slate. That way, whoever's coming into work can do a very, very good, consistent job throughout the house. So I, I, I know you have a few more points, but I, I'm curious, how do you I know we've talked about this before. How do you prepare for a flip financially? Do you, do you set up a certain checking account or a bank account for each flip? How do you, do you have a, a specific credit card per flip? How do you prepare? Because you're going to be opening up a new account with the electric company. You're going to be opening up a new account with the gas and maybe it's a new city. Uh, let's say city of Richardson, you've got to go down to the city, open up an account for water and trash. And if you wait and you're not prepared for that, now you're putting it into some random card or on a random account, you're having to go back and account for that. How, what can people do to prepare from that standpoint for a new job? Yeah. So I have, you know, my flips and, um, my um, business expenses um, for my entity that handles those kind of acquisitions is Westbrook Renovations. So I have a couple different accounts. Um, one account that's kind of the general operating expenses. And then I have another account that is basically, I call it the fix and flip account. So what I'll do is I have that main account that handles kind of overall expenses of the business. And I, I put utilities and that overall expenses of the business because it's easier just to track it that way versus trying to track it individually to my rehab account so i'll just basically put it in there as lump sum expenses right utilities are part of that um that expense and and i'll do it that way the same thing with you know having um my interest payments and stuff like that will actually come out of my main operating account but then my fix and flip I'll put draws in there. And so I basically will track it on the spreadsheet, but I'll say, Hey, I just put $20,000 in there for this job, 15,000 in there for this job. And then as I get draws back from the bank, then I just reconcile it and I'll put that money back in there. And then I just reconcile it on my, on my spreadsheet. And I keep a ledger just like a bank ledger, but I do it individually for flip. And so mm -hmm. I do it that way and it keeps it in track and then it keeps it segregated from you know my monthly subscriptions and just different accounts that come out of the operating account and i only use the fix and flip specifically for that then mm -hmm. um and in addition to that i have several accounts set up with vendors so <clears throat> you know my carpentry trim company company my framing um supply materials, you know, that comes out of that account. And it basically is a credit account that you're due in 30 days. So I can order materials and then I get invoiced and I pay that back. Same with uh, 
the company we use out of Carrollton for, you know, uh, light fixtures, ceiling fans, trim hardware, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, so several of my vendors are set up that way. I'm like a monthly credit, you know, uh, account that's set up that way. And uh, other than that, I mean, I use debit accounts um, just direct to my bank. And that way I'm okay. not getting too complicated with getting the credit cards and then going specific mm-hmm. to that job. If I do, again, I'm just going to track it in my ledger and then pay it back and track it that way, right, individually. But I know that there's competition out there that kind of run their credit accounts up as a big lump sum, and that can get very confusing when you do it that way. So I make sure that any of my vendors, even though they have me as a total account, I make sure that every job has its own separate PO, and Mm. that way there's an invoice, and I put it on every check, and I track it that way of matching invoice numbers, so that way there's no confusion. If there's some mm-hmm. job that gets a credit account or, you know, hasn't been paid yet, that way it's always specific down to the exact dollar. And I never double mm-hmm. up invoices. So, like, some people will double up their invoices and pay it. Like, hey, I've got oh, three invoices from this company. I'm going to pay it in one check. Yeah. I never do keep that. Keep it separate. I keep it separate because then I can go back to my spreadsheet and I can also check my check uh, software that we use. We have digital check software that we cut checks from. So I have multiple ways to go back in and double check to see if I cut that check or not. And then mm-hmm. I can check it, obviously, in my bank account to see if it cleared. But, you know, we've learned those from the hard way, right? In the very beginning, I mean, 13 years ago, whenever I started doing this, we did it lump sum. And we, you know, we had problems. And we would double up and pay triple invoices at one time, et cetera. And, you know, the the companies that had my account set up would just apply a credit to the account. So if you had an outstanding balance of $10,520, they didn't care how many properties that went to or what it went to. Right. But if I was doing this at the time, I was doing this for other investors. So I was putting on my account and getting it reimbursed or waiting on a check to come through. So if there was a delay in that, they would just take the money and apply it. So if I had a $3,000 payment and I applied it and I thought it was for ABC property, and they applied yeah. it to XYZ property, it would completely yeah. throw off the accounting. <laughs> so, mm, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we learned the hard way, and that's why we do it this way now. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people do it differently, but the, the long and short of it is have a system, be able to keep your properties separate. You know, and if you're like me right now, I'm doing one, but there was a time when I was doing the two, and you have different charges coming through. Be specific on your checks that you're writing, your memos keeping your receipts. I'm still learning all that. I actually just got into a bookkeeper. She's helping me keep all of that straight. So, you know, moving forward, I'll be, I'll be doing better and better with that. So. Well, I I was going to say training your trades on how you operate is the most important thing, right? Because Mm. everybody operates differently. So my guys know I want an invoice separate for each property for everything. So you know, they're like, well, I don't have invoices here. I'm going to text you and just sell me. Okay, fine. Right. Send me an inv- I don't care if you go to CVS and buy a little invoice book. Yeah. I, I need an invoice. I need to be able to track it. So, yeah. you know, I think And I need to be better at that. And, yeah. and, and the important part on that is, again, if there's ever a problem arises or they're like, hey, n- you never paid this, you know, now you've got, you've got history of it and you know specifically mm-hmm. what it is. So a lot yeah. of my guys have had to be trained, you know, what I want, what I expect. And well, plus you also train them that you pay on Fridays and yeah, my wife did that. And that was the best thing ever. (laughs) 
Yeah, because, you know, for me, you just trickle it out. You know, like I've, we're sitting here, I'm getting blown up by the guy doing the trash yesterday. Yeah. Because, you know, it's 15 minutes after he did his job, so of course he's ready to be paid, and yeah. he doesn't have Zelle, so I, he wants a check check. No, that's so, when you tell yeah, them, having, like, I, I paid, it, that you just have to control that. You know, yeah. you you have to tell them, you send me invoices, you know, for instance, for whatever time works for you. For me, it works to pay my guys on Fridays, and I get I get invoices by Thursday. And I'm like, if I don't get it by end of business on Thursday, don't ask for a check on Friday. It'll be next Friday. And, yeah. you know, that's just the way I operate. Now, every once in a while, I'll make an exception if somebody's in a tight pinch, and I know the guy, yeah. and, you know. Or it's a one-off trade that I haven't used before. I know that he's not yet adapted to that system. But yeah. I, I just have to kind of make it that way. Otherwise, you drive yourself insane chasing these guys around and making life convenient mm -hmm. for them. And right. I know how much you're paying this little handyman guy of yours. And, and he might be, you know, I think he's moldable, but he's already gotten way spoiled, right? So it's yeah. like that's how – my main one of my main guys pablo is that just did your landscape for you at at mm. uh, mapleton you know he's worked for me since 2009 but and he's kind of my all-around guy you know but we've learned how we both operate we learned the system and i pay him a lot of money he's mm. usually most my most consistent trade that i'm paying every week for something mm. but you know and he's good but it's also like it's setting boundaries so that way yeah. there's some kind of, you know, measurable expectation on what you're going to have yeah. him do. If you're going to have him do odd, jo odd jobs, okay, either figure out an hourly rate or figure out a daily rate or figure out something that's a little bit more, you know, consistent. Because it seems like this guy is willing to work. He just, yeah. you know, his expectation of, of what he's making uh, for what he's doing and, and the babysitting that you're having to do. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I've got to learn those boundaries. And I mean, this goes back to, you know, preparing yourself for success and having a good crew. Yeah. You know, when you're new like me and you're starting out, you're feeling all that out. I started out with a general contractor. I had to shift. I had to start finding my own people. I tried some on my own. You had some early on. I, you know, I did everything from people walking up on the job like this guy. I found people that hit me up on Facebook. You know, there, there's people out there that you can find obviously the best way is something, you know, now that I have your guys, you are tested with them, you know what they can do, you know, basically what they charge. They know the system. That's fantastic. I understand not everyone's going to have that. The faster you can get consistent with it. And like you're saying, come up with some boundaries, come up with some, even just arbitrary rules. Hey, I pay on Friday. I need an invoice. If you, if I had just started saying that, I, who's going to argue with that? Well, the other I, the other big you. thing is ask for their W nine, right? Uh, and if they don't have it, send it to them, um, and try to get it. Now, obviously, I've got some trades, um, you know, that don't have that, and uh, you know, I, I, I make it work, or you know, uh, they're valuable enough to keep around and work through that headache. But on the mm -hmm. other side, uh, the majority of people, you know, do, but. You need to ask for it at least up front the first time you pay them um, or hire them again and ask for it the second time at least so that you mm -hmm. have it. Because come tax time, you know, they're like, oh, I don't have one or, you know, you can't get a hold of them or they don't answer the phone. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, right, that right. burden becomes your burden if you don't have it. Right. Yeah. So. Right. Well, I know that we are we're closing in on our time and we're going to get, you know, into the next phase and actually some of the stuff that you're the sequencing 
I think the next thing that we could talk about, and I've, I've had a huge learning curve is how do you actually know, you know, we talked about foundation should be first. Okay. What's next? Who, who can you stack on top of each other? Who can work concurrently? Who has to go first? Who has to go last? You know, why you shouldn't wait, you know, why you shouldn't get your floors finished mid <laughs> mid project. Um, even though the guy said he can be there and he's going to give you a little bit of a discount. <laughs> there's, there's certain things that you shouldn't do, but I hope you have enjoyed this insight. Tavis has just years and years of experience. Um, Tavis, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, uh, give them an insight into where to find you. Yes. I'm like Tavis with, uh, Tavis without the R. <laughs> You're Travis with, <laughs> let me do it for you. It's been a long morning. You're yeah, still drinking your coffee. <laughs> if you, if you want to get in touch with uh, Tavis, you can find him on Instagram and on Facebook. Mostly it's like Travis without the R and he's there and he's always posting awesome videos of his walkthroughs and his, uh, his different investments there. He has, uh, he has not mentioned this in a, w- a while, but he has Westbrook Tavis Westbrook Designs, where he and uh, another guy do amazing design work. They can come up with uh, full-scale CAD drawings and full-scale 3D modeling of designs. And and Tavis does a great job of materials and spacing and a lot of the artistic stuff that you would not necessarily uh, know. A guy who can also manage a job with concrete and two-by-fours can also actually do a really good job designing a, a project. So he has some great Great projects under his belt that he's gotten some awards for. So if you if you have any design work that you would like, or at least some uh, to sit down with a consultation with Tavis, I know he's open to that too. So if you want to get in touch with me, Instagram, Facebook, Ashton Hines, Dallas Real Estate Guy. If you like this uh, podcast, if you find any value in it, please like, subscribe, share it with a friend. Tell them that we will be back for the next Friday episode of the Real Estate Heavyweights podcast. We hope you have a great week and we'll check with you next time. See you then.